Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. The New Testament book of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5. Of course, we've been using this as our jumping off text for the most part of this series just because it gives us some instructions. And starting tonight, we're actually going to dive into this uh, passage just a little bit more and <laughs> taking it bit by bit for the next couple weeks, understanding a little bit more about what the Bible says concerning biblical music. And so we find our way into the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. The book of Ephesians chapter number 5, and if you wouldn't mind noticing with me, starting at verse number 16. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, the word of God says this, "...redeeming the time, because the days are evil." Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but, <coughs> excuse me, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts. To the Lord. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark something that God has asked us to speak to our hearts in? And the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 19, the word Psalms. The word Psalms. And with the Lord's help, we would like to expose and to open up the scriptures and understand the music of the Psalms. Music of the Psalms. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And Lord, as we take this different message and still talking about music, but we want to understand this part of scripture that you have emphasized here that we're supposed to sing to ourselves in. I'm asking, Lord, that we would learn more about you, more about what your plan is, and more about this emphasis that you've placed, that we can learn more about this section of the Bible we call the Psalms. Lord, fill me with your spirit. You get your work accomplished, and we know that we can trust you. In your name we pray. Amen. Good. Now, this passage in here instructs us, this passage in Ephesians, instructs us to sing the Psalms, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So this is actual commandment, and it's talking about as we're filled with the Spirit, one of the results that comes out is that we will be singing. And so what are we supposed to be singing? We're supposed to be singing the Psalms. Therefore, if we're supposed to sing the Psalms, we need to understand what the Psalms are and how do we apply that. Well, the Psalms in, were the sacred songbook for the nation of Israel. This is what the nation of Israel used as their hymn book, as their songbook. And so the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people and the Jewish people, they would use this quite often as their songbook. 
55 of the psalms are addressed to the chief musician. Meaning that out of the 150 psalms, 55 of them are addressed directly to God. We're singing this to God, our chief musician. Again, what we're learning here is that these songs were to be sung to Him. To be sung to His glory, to praise and honor Him and dedication to Him. Now throughout history, the psalms were sung by Israel and the New Testament Christians. The theme of the book of Psalms is worship. That's the theme of the book of Psalms that we're to worship. And this idea of worship literally carries the idea of prostration. The word prostration is to lay down and worship in all, standing in reverence of. And so this idea of worship is carries with it that we are seeing who God is. And we're responding to the power and majesty and the holiness and the awe of this God. We also understand because of this principle that worship begins with God. That it all begins with God. God is the one that we're singing to. He's the one that directs it. It all begins with God. The book of Psalms also puts, when you put it into context, shows us that every experience in life is an opportunity to worship. You see, the book of Psalms just doesn't record people when they're having a good day. When the bills are paid and everything's happy and no one's mad at them. But in fact, the Psalms record when David is at his lowest point in his life. And he still takes the opportunity to praise God. It takes time when people are being hunted. And they still say God is good and God is right. These Psalms show us no matter what you go through. No matter what obstacles. No matter what circumstances. You still have the opportunity to worship God. And that's something we need to be reminded of. That singing songs and worshiping God isn't just set to a time of a worship service. Or times when we're happy and the birds are singing. It's a time that no matter what goes on in your life. God is worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be sung to. The word praise is found 150 times in the book of Psalms. Once again, it's directing to God. Praising who God is. Declaring his greatness, majesty. As we study a little bit more, we just gave a little bit of an introduction. Something interesting when we study Psalms is actually studying the titles of the Psalms. The titles of the Psalm. You know, that little thing right above each of the Psalm that you ignore? Those are actually quite important. In fact, the ancient Hebrew people actually considered the titles to be Scripture. Meaning they believe that they carry the inspiration of God as well. And so therefore, if they carry the inspiration of God... Every word of God is profitable. We understand that we should know something about the titles of the Psalms and what they teach us. Now 52 of the Psalms have meager titles. Meaning they, uh, they just have a quick little blurb, a quick little thing. Not a lot said about those 52 Psalms. But they have just a small little title. But 14 of them have titles dealing with time. Just an interesting thing that in the titles, they actually take time to mention time. We see that four of the Psalms give purpose. So they give in the purpose. Why are we singing this Psalm? Why was this Psalm put together? And 15 Psalms of degrees. These are going to be Psalm 120 through 134. Those are going to be an important section of Psalms. We'll talk about a little bit later. Now the titles also give dis are descriptive of character. What do I mean by that? Well, a psalm itself is a song or poem with a lyric component. 
So if you wanted to know what a psalm was, a psalm is a song or poem that has a lyric component. It is a musical idea, musical poem. And so inside of the, ta- uh, the title, sometimes you'll see that word psalm, that just carrying what it is, it's a song or a poem with a lyric component. We see that in the titles, we could see the word song mentioned 31 times. Again, we're seeing that this is the hymn book and they expected it to be the hymn book. These psalms were not something, oh, look, this would be good to sing to. They were created for the purpose for people to sing them. Another title that you see is a mishiel. This means a skillful or cunning song. Thirteen times you'll see that idea, a mishiel of David. A mishiel is a skillful or cunning song. It's a specific song. We also understand a miktam. A miktam is a personal and private prayer. It's something to do with meditation. And so a miktam, again, carrying the idea that it's a song, is a private prayer That you sing to God in a song. That you're singing to God in a prayer. God that you would help me. God you'd watch over me. Now all of these miktams are ascribed to David. We'd see Psalm 16. Psalm uh, 56 through 60. Those are the miktams of David. Personal prayers. We see this idea of shiganoth. Which is a loud cry. You'll see this in Psalm 7. You'll also see this in the book of Habakkuk 3. As Habakkuk is waiting for God to speak to him. It's a loud cry. Again, this carries the idea of a musical. It's carrying this emotion. We could see in the titles. Now again, all we're doing is talking about the titles, not the context. We're trying to learn what what we can of the Psalms from the title. In the titles, five times it mentions prayer. This is a prayer of David. Psalm 17, 87, 90, 102, and 142. They're saying these were actual prayers that were prayed to God. We could see the word praise used uh, in Psalm 145. We also see that titles are connected with a musical setting. We could see to the chief musician 55 times, like I said before. This is a musical setting. If it's to the chief musician, this is a psalm that's dedicated to music to the chief musician, the great musician of all. It's believed that all of these that, uh, that were these 55 psalms to the chief musician, they were all in a collection at one time, and these were specific part of the hymn book that the Hebrew people would sing. We also see the word mizmor. 45 times all by itself it's used, and this carries the idea to be sung with musical accompaniment. So these were psalms that were expected to be sung with some type of musical accompaniment. Again, what are we trying to do? We're not trying to do a dry lecture. We're learning quite a bit that God is a musical God. And that God wants us to be musical people. And that Bible commands that we sing into ourselves with psalms making melody in our heart. Well, the psalms were created for that. They're scripture that God has wanted them to sing, even with accompaniment. Another word that we find is shire, 14 times all by itself, and that just means simply a song. And that there are 13 more times where mizmar and shire are found together in a title. Again, shire is just a song. Mizmar carries the idea of uh, 
to be sung with a musical accompaniment. So to be sung, to have a musical accompaniment. These are songs. Again, you find these in the titles of the Psalms. Once again, to try to put an emphasis that these were meant to be songs, to praise to God. God is a musical God and he expected them to be sung. Another title that we see that deals with a musical setting is on Niganoth. Niganoth. It's derived from a verb meaning to play on a stringed instrument. So whenever you see this title here, it carries the idea to play on a string instrument. To actually play. I, this psalm was created to be played on a specific type of instrument. With the words to accompany it. Another title we find is Neoloth. This is to be played with a wind instrument. Perhaps like a flute. And so you have string instruments, you have wind instruments that were expected to be played with certain psalms. God is a musical God. We have upon Shimoneth. This is an eighth, which is a, a term that was denoted to a male choir as distinguished from the Almanoth, the maiden's choir. So here is a psalm that was created for men's voices to sing out loud. Imagine that, that God loves choirs. And God wants to hear voices being sung to him. God is a musical God. Again, we're learning more about God through the Psalms and understanding that these Psalms were created to be sung. They're very poetical. We have another one used once called a Giddith. Now, what is a Giddith? Now, many people may think or think this refers to a Giddite instrument or melody. Remember, the Gittites were the Philistines, and so someone had created a specific uh, instrument from the from the <laughs> Philistines, and this instrument could be used to be played a specific psalm for God, used for the insert a melody. Another musical thing that we see is Jethanin. Jethanin. Now, if you might remember last week, we'd actually men mention Jethanin. Remember, we had saw him in First uh, Chronicles 16.41 with Haman and Jethanin that were expressed by name. And they were singing the great choir to God. We see him once again in First Chronicles 25.3 of Jethanin, the sons of Jethanin. And remember, it said, under the hands of their father, Jethanin. And remember, we explained last week that that term, under the hands carries the idea to direct a choir. Well, because of that, we understand that Jethanin introduced a method of conducting the services that is believed to be afterwards attributed to his name. And so when you see in the titles that word Jethanin, it carries the idea that there's an expected to have some type of choir director to direct things in the way of Jethanin to get the congregation to sing and to sing this song. Again, musical terms, these titles tell us quite a bit about music and how they are to be played and how they are to be sung. We also see the word sila. That means to pause, to meditate. 71 times you'll see that word sela inside of the Psalms. And it's usually something that if you're going to do it as a musical thing when you come to that Psalm, you don't say the word sela, but instead you take a long pause. To let people think about it. Let them meditate on what is said. And then you begin the song again. It's a meditative term. A musical term of pausing. Of rest. So it also probably gives notice of a stanza in a song. Some people believe that, that the sailor kind of breaks it off. And lets us know of, of the next stanza. Another term that you'll see is Higanon. 
This is a musical direction. It kind of means meditation. Psalm 20, uh, 72 has this. This idea of musical direction to sing it meditative, meditatively. To meditate to God. Now we can also see some of these psalms have a liturgical or a religious use. Now during the time of the second temple, each day of the week had its own psalm that they would sing in a song. For example, on the Sabbath day, they would start off in the morning and they would begin their temple worship with singing Psalm 92. Uh, The next day on Sunday, they would sing as they would prepare their daily things, Psalm 24, and so on and so forth. Each day had a specific psalm that was attributed to it, and each day, part of their daily songs and meditations, they would specifically sing that specific song for the day for that temple worship. We could see that in the titles here, there's titles to bring to remembrance, Psalm 38 and Psalm 70. And again, these were here to be worship songs, to be songs where you thought about God, religious psalms. (coughs) We could see the title to be sung at the dedication of the house, Psalm 30. And again, it was to, uh, for the dedication of the temple. And it was set there specifically to worship God because of what he has done. We see the idea to teach. Do you know that there's one of the Psalms that says it was there to teach? We were supposed to teach this to other people. Psalm 110. This means to taught to learn or to recite publicly. And so this would be a Psalm that was instructed. Teach others to do this Psalm. So that way we could do it as a congregation and sing it out loud. We see the Psalm of Degrees, Psalm 120 through 134. We had mentioned that before. These are a grouping of 15 psalms that were put together, dedicated to the worship and the thought of who God is. Now let's actually talk about the psalms in the temple service. Remember that the psalms were the Hebrew songbook for the time of the temple. Let's see how these psalms were actually used inside of temple worship. Now, by the time of the second temple, there was a psalm for every day of the temple worship. We had explained that. But do you know that that day's psalm was to be sung in the morning sacrifice? And each day the psalm had a corresponding day of creation. And so the psalm was supposed to be attributed to a certain day of creation. For example, on the first day of creation, they would sing on, on the first day of the week. It would be Psalm 24 and Psalm 70. And it would match Genesis 1, through, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And so on this day, as they would think about the first day of creation, they would sing the appointed psalms and they would think about that God created the world. On the second day, they would sing about the second day of creation, Psalm 48 and Psalm 70. And they would go through, correspond to the second day of creation, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The third day would be Psalm 82, which again would cover the third day of creation. The fourth day would be Psalm 94 and Psalm 70. So again, on that day, they would sing those songs early in the morning before they did any other temple worship, before they would open for business for temple sacrifices for setting these other things up they would actually take time to sing these psalms before they would begin thinking about God in the day of creation the fifth day of creation would be psalm 81 the sixth day of creation psalm 93 and psalm 70 and then on the sabbath day God rested we had psalm 92 
which talked about that God had rested that first day. And this was a day that we were setting to think about God and that God had finished his work. And again, these were used on a daily basis inside of the temple to cause people to think about God and what he has done for us. Then we have the Messianic Psalms. Now we move from the titles and we're actually talking about how the Psalms were used. We also have these Messianic Psalms. What's a Messianic Psalms? These Messianic Psalms have to do with the coming Messiah. These were songs, Psalms specifically that spoke about Jesus. There are, these Psalms give a more complete picture of Christ in the Psalms than the gospel records do. The gospel records may give more of a historical view, but the Psalms speak about what Christ was going through and what he was thinking and what he was seeing, the emotions of it. For example, in the gospels, it says Jesus went to pray. In Psalms, it records the prayers. Notice again, in the Gospels, it, rec it records historically the crucifixion. In the Psalms, it records his heart as he's being crucified. Psalm 22 is a great example. To see what he's going through, to see his emotions, to see his heart broken. These are part of the Messianic Psalms. In the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus went to heaven to be with his Father. In the Psalms, it shows us that he's seated with his Father. Again, it gives a more complete picture. We have the historical accounts in the New Testament. In Psalms, we get the more complete picture. What a wonderful thing that God did. The Psalms records Christ in four general characters. So four ways that the Psalms record Christ. The first way is the suffering Messiah. You'll see him, the suffering Messiah, by the way, that matches the theme of the gospel record of Matthew, which shows that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who came. We could see, excuse me, that he, and um, excuse me, we could see that he's the reigning king. We'll see that in the Psalms, that Jesus Christ is Lord of deeds. Uh, Notice um, Psalm 24 for your own reference later on. Who is the king of glory. We'll see him as the son of man. The son of David it pictures him. The gospel record of Luke puts an emphasis on that. That he's the son of man in this picture. And then he's also pictured as the son of God. And you'll see that throughout the Psalms and these Messianic Psalms. These four different generalization pictures of the Messiah yet to come for the Hebrew people at that time. Now different descriptions and the Psalms correspond with scripture. Let's compare these. In Psalm 2 we see the king is rejected, established, and reigning. Kiss the son lest he be angry. In Psalm 8 we see the son of man, the great creator, the son of man, and Psalm 16, we see the resurrection of the king. In Psalm 18, we see Christ's experience in death, the resurrection and the glory. All of these speak about who Jesus is. And Psalm 20, we see Christ and his salvation. After that, we come to Psalm 21, Christ kingly glory. After this, we come to a trinity of Psalms that speak about the great shepherd. 
We have in Psalm 22, we have the crucifixion of the good shepherd. In Psalm 23, we have the good shepherd's care for a sheep. And then in Psalm 24, we have the chief shepherd as the king of glory. All of these are picturing who Christ is. In Psalm 40, we see the obedient Christ. In Psalm 45, the king's eternal throne that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Again, all of these are showing who Christ is. In Psalm 69, we see the suffering Christ. How he suffered for your sins and for mine. We see in Psalm 72, the eternal reign of the king. In Psalms 89, we have the confirmation of the endless Davidic dynasty. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise that God told David that he would always have one of his descendants ruling on the throne. In Psalm 97, we see the reigning king. As we go through Psalm 101, Christ's righteous rule. In Psalm 110, the eternal priest. And Psalm 118, the exaltation of the rejected stone. Remember, we spoke about that this morning in Sunday school. That Jesus Christ was the chief stone. The, the stone that the builders rejected. In Psalm 132, we see the eternal inheritor of David's throne. Once again, that fulfillment of the Davidic promise. Now with that... Again, most of this has been informational. We're trying to learn about the Psalms. And we learn quite a bit about the Psalms. What did we learn? We learned that the Psalms were meant to be sung. We understand that these Psalms point to Christ. We see that these Psalms are supposed to get us to praise and honor and glorify God. That's what the purpose of them. And by the way, we apply those same things to the other parts of music. That they should direct us to God. We should be singing praises to Him. They should give us words to meditate and to learn more about who God is and His Savior. So with this, let's actually apply this. Do you know that you could sing the Psalms? Now we know because we just got through singing a few. But let's actually put it to practice ourselves. Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. And I'd like to teach you a song. Now some of you may already know it. But let's learn this together if you don't mind. In Psalm 19 verses 7 through 10 is a song. It's a song about the word of God. And if you want what we could do is we could use verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9 as the verses of the song. And we would sing verse 10 as the chorus. If you don't mind it, let's try it. You may not know the tune. We won't have a piano. We'll try to do it a cappella. So for those of you who are listening, do your best. Just ignore it. But you know, we could still sing praises to God. Let's see if we could learn this, all right? So starting at verse number 7, we'll sing verse 7. Then we'll jump to verse 10 as the chorus. Hit verse 8. Jump to verse 10 as the chorus. Hit verse 9. Go to verse 10 as the chorus. And let's see if we could sing this song together. All right? Notice with me in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also.
also than honey and the honeycomb. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Very good. And so we do understand that the Psalms were translated, that they're no longer in Hebrew, but because they were intended to be sung, there are many passages of the Psalms that we could actually put to music and still sing to ourselves and still have the truth of the words here. Again, as you sing this psalm and start to get this passage, you start to learn more about God's word and what God's word could do for you. Notice again in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. And you know, because it's perfect, notice the result. It converts the soul. Notice the testimony of the Lord is sure, meaning the idea that it's something we can stand on, we can depend upon, it's sure. And because it's sure, it makes wise the simple. Verse number eight, the statutes of the Lord are right, meaning they're correct, rejoicing the heart. Because they're correct, we can rejoice in our heart that the law is correct. It talks about the commandment of the Lord is pure. And because it's pure, it enlightens the eyes. Verse number nine, the fear of the Lord. That's another statement when it deals with the idea of the word of God. This is another statement. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. That word clean is carrying the idea that it's perfect. And because it's perfect, it will endure forever. It says the judgments of the Lord are true. And because of that, they're righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. What's that they? God's word to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We know that the word of God is supposed to be eaten and we're supposed to experience it, digest it for ourselves. And so from this psalm, we're singing praises to God and we learn more about who God is. And when you sing psalms like this, you start to learn doctrine. And understand more about what God is teaching you. And God is using this as an example. As we go back to the book of Ephesians. You don't have to turn there. But the reference we just started off with. That when we're filled with the spirit. We should be singing to ourselves in psalms. Hymns. And spiritual songs. That his, uh, psalms are one of them that we're supposed to sing. And that God wants us to sing to him. And as we are right with God and dead to self. We'll want to sing to him. Again, a shorter message today, but it got the point across. We just wanted to give you a sampling, give you an understanding, a summary, an overview of the book of the Psalms for yourself so you can understand. And now I encourage you that when you go through the Psalms, 
notice the titles for yourself. They're important and they'll give you a little bit more understanding about what this psalm was. If you're in Psalm 19, notice this. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. We understand that Psalm 19 is a song dedicated to God that was meant to be sung. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.